In just a couple of weeks, we're going to be celebrating Easter, and and uh, on Easter we always have a program, which is wonderful, but I don't get a chance to preach. Wow, didn't hear any praise the Lord or anything on that one. <clears throat> but with it coming up here in a few weeks, uh, I want to, this week and next week, I want to touch on a couple of subjects, a couple of events that evolve around the Christmas season. And I, and I believe they're so important for us to, uh, to see them, to understand them, because um, they're principles that are set forth. Then we, when, we, when we get a hold of them properly, they can truly impact our life. You know, I was, I was thinking about this when we were worshiping today. I think we so easily stray from the, the biblical significance of so many things. And it, and it happens in, in such a subtle way. It, and I'm not just simply talking about the world. I'm, I'm talking about the church and, you know, in Becky's car, she's got, Pastor Becky's car, we've got satellite uh, radio in that. And so, you know, when we're traveling a lot, we listen to it. I think it's called, um, I don't even know what it's called. The Message, I guess that's the, the channel. And it's all Christian music and so forth. And one, it's wonderful. But, <clears throat> Their advertisement really bothers me because their advertisement says faith, hope, and music. Now, I, I enjoy music. I love music. Music is an intricate part of my life where worship and so forth is concerned. But it's not faith, hope, music. It's faith, hope, love. And what's, to me, what's, what I don't like about it is, our God is a God of faith. Our God is a God that brings hope into our life. But our God is love. And so it, in, a, in a very subtle way, and I know they're not intending it because it's, <laughs> it's Christian, no Christian, you know anything would ever try to take away from what Jesus is truly in our life. And if you believe that, well, anyway. But it, it, in a very subtle way, it just moves us from one point to another. I believe we need to have our antennae up and we need to pay attention to what we hear because it has tremendous impact upon our life. This morning, what I wanna do is I'm gonna to talk to you about a particular situation in the Bible that evolved around uh, Easter. And, and we're, I'm gonna talk about Judas. Ooh, what a positive message. Well, there's something really positive that we can get out of it. But <clears throat> what I want us to see is, because I think sometimes, even in, in events like that, very subtly, they can have a, an impact upon our life that they're not really supposed to have. So I wanna, I wanna talk with, about Judas a little bit, you know, because you know, Easter is far more than Easter eggs and food. Although both, both of those things are fun. But Easter is so much more than that. And, and so I wanna talk about some of these subjects around it the next couple of weeks um, and you know, possibly even thereafter. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that it's alive, it's living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides asunder that which is soul from that which is spirit. Father, it, it, it brings faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And Father, we thank you that as we have the opportunity to hear the word of God today, that faith is gonna rise up on the inside of us and it's gonna produce those things that are needful for us to live the victorious life. 
Because that's why Jesus came, that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. And so we ask your blessing upon this time. And Father, we just pray that your word would minister to each and every one of our hearts. And Father, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Turning your Bibles to Matthew, the 26th chapter. Now, Judas, Judas was one of the original 12 disciples. Um, he was with Jesus probably somewhere around three and a half years and saw his ministry and the miracles and everything. And, uh, but Judas, and we, we don't exactly know why. There's, there's theories as to why Judas betrayed Jesus. We really don't know. We know that he was, uh, he was a treasurer, <laughs> Jesus' treasurer, that he was that he was greedy. We can see that from um, the scripture, that he was moved in that way. Uh, it also appears that possibly it could have been somewhat politically motivated because, um, you know, the disciples thought that Jesus was gonna come and set up the earthly kingdom, which he didn't come to do. He, he came to establish the kingdom of heaven, which is on the inside of us, but they were expecting something physical. They were, they were disappointed. And so, you know, part of his motivation might have been in that regard in trying to motivate Jesus to move to do something. But again, we don't know. A lot of times people teach these things and, and they'll take the one that they favor and they'll teach it as truth, but there's no way for us to do that because we don't have uh, the biblical proof for it. And so, there's some things that we do know. And it always amazes me, why can't we stick with what we know? We know Jesus came, we know Jesus died, we know that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. We know that Jesus is coming back. Why aren't we satisfied with those things? But it seems like we always gotta try to go on to something other than that and, and make it what we call really deep. You know, graves are deep. You know, but I don't wanna, hang out there. And a lot of times what we're doing is we're just digging a deep hole. And oftentimes it's difficult to rise up out of it. But let's, let's focus on what we do know. And so in, in Matthew, the 26th chapter, and we're going to begin in the 14th verse, and it says, then one of the 12 called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priests and said, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. From, so from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. From that time, he sought opportunity. Well, he received 30 pieces of silver, and that's why we get the idea that maybe it was greed. He just wanted more money. But then it says, from that time on, he began to seek an opportunity to betray Jesus. You know, on Wednesday night, we've been talking about the believer's authority. You know, last week, one of the scripture passages that we, we talked about is how um, Satan roams about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. What he's doing is he's, he's looking for, he's seeking an opportunity to bring death and destruction into our life. Here, Judas is seeking an opportunity to betray Jesus, to bring him down. And uh, the thing is, is that Jesus recognized it and he acknowledged it. If you drop down just a few verses to verse 20, still in, in 26. And it says, and when evening had come, he sat down with the 12, and of course this is when he's going to institute Holy Communion with them. Now as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful, and each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? And he answered and said, He who dips his hand with me in the dish will betray me. You know, it's interesting about that is 
you know, much of the culture in the Middle East hasn't changed that much. You know, and I remember when I went to Egypt some years ago to do a, a, a video underground Bible school, and, and we would go out to eat, and, and, and this would be in a restaurant, it'd be at home, it'd be anywhere, but we'd go out to eat, and, and what you, you, you didn't have any, any plate, you didn't have any silverware, uh, basically what was said in front of you was a bread, it was similar to, you know, like a pita bread or something like that. And so what you'd do is you'd take that bread and you'd tear off a piece and you'd reach over and you'd, you'd dip into the bowl and you really hope people didn't double dip. <laughs> you know, but you'd reach over and you'd, you'd dip in the bowl and you'd, you'd get whatever you wanted, you know, the meat or whatever, you'd, you'd just get it in the, and, and then there would be sauces and so forth and you'd just dip it in the sauce or whatever you want and then you'd, you'd eat it and then you'd take another piece and, and it, that's what everybody did. All the food was in the middle of the table and everybody would rip it off. And, and so Jesus here says, it's the one who dips his hand into the bowl. And it seems like kind of a strange statement to make, but I think it's because that's how they were eating their food. You know, we, we have, we set up communion and you know, if, if somebody does the living Lord's Supper or whatever it may be, they, they set it up and everybody's got a plate and everybody's got silverware. And, and I have a feeling that when they had it, they had something like pita bread and they reached over and they helped themselves. And while Judas reached in and he ate with, with Jesus and he said, um, he who dips his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it was written to him, but woe to him, to that man, by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. And it would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? And he said to him, you have said it. In other words, what you say is true. You are the one. I like what it says, it, it, it adds something to it in, in the Gospel of John, the 13th chapter, 27th verse, because it says, now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him, then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. What you do, do quickly. But notice what happened. Judas made the decision on his own. But what happened when he made that decision to betray Jesus? He opened the door. He opened the opportunity for Satan, the enemy, to come into our life. Why is it, why is it so important for us to guard our hearts? It's like I said earlier, there's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's, it says he's as a roaring lion, he's not a roaring lion, but he's, he's like a roaring lion, and he's, he's seeking who he may devour, devour. Now thank God, you and I, as born again believers, the enemy cannot possess us, because we're possessed by the Holy Spirit, if I can use that terminology. We're full of the Holy Ghost. But you know what? He can sure have an influence in our life. And when we open doors, we open doors for him to come and, and bring temptation to, to draw us away from the truth, whatever that truth may be. So that's why it's so important for us to, to see the word of God, we understand the word of God, that we live in the word of God. That's why it's so deceptive when, when just little things begin to take us off course just a little bit because what happens is it opens the door. We don't stand up and say, oh Satan, I'm submitting to you, you can have your way, you can do your thing in my life. But we open the door, we give opportunity for him to bring death and destruction into our life because ultimately that's what he wants to do. He ultimately wants to kill us, but he wants to make our lives just as miserable as he possibly can in the process. And so that's why it's so important for us to know, to truly know what Jesus has done for us. Going a little bit further down in verse 47, still in Matthew 26. 
This is when they're in the garden. And Jesus has just prayed with his disciples. And if you remember the story, how they, they kept falling asleep on him. They couldn't stay awake. Jesus said, can't you even pray for an hour? Well, you know what? It's, it's tough to pray for an hour, especially when you're tired. Remember when we've had some prayer services here and all at once you hear heavy breathing all over the building because people weren't able to pray for an hour. That's why I get up and I walk around because <laughs> I don't want to snore in front of everybody. But you know what it's but But see, part of it, so that we don't fall asleep on God, is we've got to make some decisions to do some things. So, I mean, if it's get up and walk around, we get up and walk around. If it's pray, we pray. But we've got to make those decisions that, so that we don't open the door for the enemy. Because that's what he wants us to do. He wants us to fall asleep on the job. You know, we have a responsibility to recognize every attack that the enemy brings against us. But you know what? When we're sleeping on the job, we don't see it come. And by sleeping, I don't mean necessarily sleeping. I'm talking about, you know, there's a lot of people that are awake, but spiritually speaking, they're asleep. They're not aware of spiritually of anything that's going on around them. And the reason that they're in that condition is because they've not, they've not taken what they need in their life, the Word of God, prayer, meditating on, they've not taken those things and applied them in their life. And so as a result, they basically fall asleep. And so in ver verse 47 here it says, And while they were still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and elders of the people. You know, you know how you can you know how you can tell the influence of the enemy in your life? It's knowing his overkill. Jesus, who had never done anything but produce peace, in every situation that he is in, there were riots, but they weren't riots that were created by him. It was because of the people trying to get to him, because they knew what they were going to get. And so G Judas is betraying him. Satan is betraying him. So what does he do? He brings an army. You get sniffles, and it's always overkill. You're going to die. What do you hear from people? They had the flu, and what they say, I thought I was going to die. No, you didn't. You did not think that. But you allow that, well, pastor, this is ridiculous. No, that, that's, that's how it works in our life. We, we have a little bit of financial difficulty, and what do we do? We think we're going to lose everything. We go out and we do, we do foolish things with our money because we think we're going to lose it all. We do foolish things because we think that this is going to be the end. We do foolish things because we think we're never going to be able to overcome whatever it is that's come against us in our life. We do foolish things because the enemy comes into our life and it's always overkill and we buy it. When we would recognize it for what it really is. The flu comes against you and the answer is not that you're going to die. The answer is by the stripes of Jesus you've been healed. So enemy, just, 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 just get out of here. Stop bothering me. And so here in this situation, it just, just amazes me. This guy that is peace. They come to him with an army with swords and with clubs who came from the, the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now his betrayer had given them a sign saying, whoever I kiss, he's the one sees him. And he went up to Jesus and said, greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Now I don't know about you. When I just dipped in the same food with somebody else, and I had the revelation of God 
this guy was in the process of betraying me so that I would be beaten to a pulp and sent to a cross to be crucified and spend three days suffering hell, I'm not sure I'd let that dude kiss me. But you know what? Jesus had no ill feelings towards Judas. That absolutely blows me away. That's the Jesus that we serve. You see, it's the enemy that tells you that because of your stupidity and because of the mistake that you made, God can't possibly love you and forgive you. He loved Judas. He would have forgiven Judas. I'm convinced of it. He would have forgiven him. But Judas, because he opened himself up to the enemy, he felt hopeless. He felt that there was absolutely no way out. We've all been there. I've been there. Where I felt like there's no way out of this situation that I'm in. And why is that? It's because I bought the lie. I accepted the lie. I listened to the lie and I in, entertained the lie. And what happens is the lie gets bigger and bigger and bigger. The impossibility gets greater and greater in my life until I feel like it's absolutely hopeless. And, Je and Jesus said to him, friend, why have you come? You know, it's an interesting thing. Jesus never asks those questions because he doesn't know. He asks those questions because he's trying to locate where we're at. You've heard me share this story how back when we were in Bible school at COC, uh, just south of St. Louis, and Kenneth Copeland was gonna be in St. Louis, and so we went to uh, the auditorium, we, we went to see him. We had never seen him in person. And, and so the one night, I can't remember if it was the night, that, I think it was the night that we were there. You know, after he, he ministers, it's in this, uh, I, I forget what the name of the place was, but it was like a, a, a civic center. So it wasn't a gymnasium and stuff, so there wasn't a lot of room in front. There was the seats and then there was the stage. And, so there weren't any places for him to do the prayer line. And, and so what they would do when they got to the end when they were gonna pray for the sick, they had them line up down the one end of the auditorium and they'd go up the steps, they'd walk across, and they'd go down the other side and go back to their seats. And, and, and Kenneth Copeland just stood up there and everybody that came along, he said, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. And that's how fast it was. People just kept walking across the stage in the name of Jesus. And that's all that he said to anybody. And, and all of a sudden this one woman comes up and he stops and he just looks at her and he said, why'd you come up here? And she started to cry and she said, to get my healing. And he says, honey, that's all right. And he laid his hands on her and said, in the name of Jesus, receive your healing. And she began to walk away and she got part way across the, and we're seeing this. And all of a sudden, you know, we're, I'm watching Copeland, all of a sudden you hear, the crowd in front, they're all going bunkers and look over and hear this woman is on the stage and she, she sat down and she's, she's starting to whip braces out from all over the place. She had, she had braces from, from her ankles to her neck. And she, she starts pulling them all off and, and she starts crawling over to the curtain to get up because she can't get up. And, and the usher starts moving over towards her and Copeland says, leave her alone. She gets a hold of the curtain, she pulls herself up and she stands up and Copeland walks over and he gives her arm and they start walking back and forth and across the stage. And, and after she's walked across and forth across the stage, she, she leaves. So we know. Until that week, on Copeland's program, he says, you gotta see our program this Sunday. We're gonna have a, a woman here who is in our 
in our St. Louis meeting and she's gonna give her testimony out here in Anaheim, California. And so, of course, we stayed home a little late from church that day. Of course, when you went to COC, if you showed up 45 minutes late, you were still on time. It's not here. We start on time. You know, but, and so we stayed home and we saw it and showed the video of this woman. And then he says, now I want to introduce you to somebody. And has this woman come up and she's in this, she's in this nice red dress and she's wearing high heels and she comes up on the platform and it's, it's the woman. And he says, why do you think that I stopped you when I was just praying for everybody else? Why do you think that I stopped you? And she says, well, number one, I wasn't gonna come to the meeting. She was from Illinois someplace and they took a bus and they finally talked me into coming. And then I wasn't gonna go up for prayer because I don't really believe in this stuff. And uh, they said, aren't you gonna go forward? And so I felt peer pressure to go forward. And so the only reason I went forward was because everybody told me I needed to. And when you addressed me, it forced me to think about what I was doing. What does Jesus do when he asks a question? It isn't because he doesn't know. It's because he wants to locate where we're at. She was located and she said, I want my healing and she wanted. She had been in a car wreck. And in the car wreck, she had damaged her back. And, and so she had braces from her neck all the way to her, to her ankles. And she had to have them on all the time where she couldn't walk, she couldn't move, and she is in such pain. And Copeland asked her an interesting question. And she said, you know, people always said, I'm, I was so wonderful because I was willing to endure my suffering. And she says, now I'm giving so much more glory to God. But he asked her, what's the greatest thing that you've been able to do since you've received your healing? And she says, I'm able to play catch with my son again. You see, the enemy wants to steal from us in every single area of our life. And God doesn't question us because he's mean, he doesn't question us because he doesn't know. The Word of God brings questions into our life and those questions are there to locate us. And so they says, friend, why have you come? And he didn't respond. Says they came, they laid hands on Jesus and they took him. He was arrested. Well, when you get into Matthew 28, the first chapter, it says that Jesus was taken before Pilate to be condemned. And, and this is why I think, I don't believe that Judas really thought that Jesus would be condemned. I think he wanted to move him, he wanted to motivate him to do something. But once Jesus was about to be condemned, all of a sudden something happened with, with Judas. And he responds to that. And we see that in the third verse. Matthew 27, verse three. And Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief uh, priests and elders saying, I have sinned and betrayed innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. They got what they wanted. Who cares about the process? The end justifies the means. They got him right where they wanted him to be and he said, what is that to us? See to it, you, you see to it. Then he threw down the 30 pieces in the temple and departed 
And he went and he hanged himself. But the chief priests took the silver pieces and said, it is not lawful to put them into the treasury because they are, they are the price of blood. And they consulted together and brought with them, bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Therefore, the field has been called the field of blood to this day. Now, Judas, in my translation, says that he was remorseful. He brought back the pieces of silver. I like what the old King James says because it, it helps us get the proper picture. King James Version says this in the third verse. And Judas, which had betrayed him, Jesus, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. It says that Judas repented. I want us to look at the word repent. I want us to look at repentance. Because once again, we see something very interesting in the scripture when you go back to the Greek, is, is oftentimes the same word in the English is used in many different ways, but in the Greek it has totally different meanings to it. Let's look at Hebrews, book of Hebrews, the sixth chapter. Hebrews, the sixth chapter, the first and the second verse, and it says, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of doctrine of baptism, and of laying on of hands the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And so here, Paul in his teachings is saying, here's the six elementary principles or, or basic doctrines of Christ. And one of those doctrines is the doctrines of doctrine of repentance or repentance from dead works. Now, <clears throat> my daily reading this year, uh, I'm reading through Rick Renner's new um, golden, what, what is it called? I think of sparkling gems too. And, and each day what he does is he, he talks about a different Greek word. And uh, last month he spent about three or four days talking about repentance and repent. And uh, back there in Matthew 27, 3, <clears throat> where it talks about uh, repent or remorse, uh, it uses the word uh, metamelii, which means to express sorrow, mourning, grief. And so it's a, it's a picture of a person that is controlled or is in great remorse or in great sorrow. And so it, that's what the word, that particular word means, remorse, sorrow. In Hebrews 1 here, it's the Greek word metenio, and uh, it's a compound word of meta and nos. Meta refers to to turn or to change. Nos is the word for mind, intellect, will, frame of thinking, opinion, or general view of life. And so when you combine these, these two words into repent, our English word repent, it's a decision to completely change the way one thinks, lives, and behaves. It can involve emotion, but it doesn't require emotion. That's why you'll see people that when they receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they come forward and they're, they're crying and they're bawling and squalling all over the place. 
They pray and they go away and they don't ever come back again. It's because it was remorse. It was sorrow. You know, have people come forward and, and receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior and there's no expression. And as a pastor, you wonder, did anything happen? But they come, become some of the most faithful people in the church. Why? Because they changed. Because they made a decision. Because they turned from the direction that they were going through. Here in Hebrews 1, it says that repentance is one of the, the basic foundation, elementary principles of Christ. Now, I happen to believe that they're, they're placed in a, in a particular order because you'll never walk in faith until you've truly repented. And so it's, it's faith or a repentance from dead works, faith towards God, instructions on washings or baptisms, plural, which is talking about being baptized into Christ, being uh, uh, baptized in the Holy Ghost, being, being immersed in the things of God, being baptized in fire. All of that is included in that word baptism. Then it goes on to laying on of hands. Why does it come there? Because as, as true believers, as mature believers, we ought to be laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover. And then the, the last two, um, resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment until you understand repentance and, and faith and are born again, you're never gonna understand resurrection, you're never gonna understand eternity. And so I believe that there's an order with them. But it, it refers to them as foundations. And so it's like a child in the first grade of course, I think they probably learned that before now, but see, I didn't have kindergarten. I started in the first grade, and so if I'm talking out of school here, that's, that's all that I had. And so I think probably kids learn the ABCs in kindergarten and in preschool and everything else. You know, <clears throat> I didn't learn them until the first grade. So we'll use me as the example. You know, <clears throat> if after 50 years of being in the first grade, if you haven't learned the ABCs, there's something wrong. Shouldn't have to spend 50 years in the first grade so that you can learn your ABCs. You ought to learn that right away. That's the first thing you learn so that you can learn to read. Well, let me tell you something. The Bible says that our ABCs as Christians is repentance from dead works, faith towards God, instructions on baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And you know what? There's people that have been Christians for 50 years and have no understanding of those truths. And so spiritually speaking, that's no different than somebody being in their 50s and still in the first grade trying to learn the ABCs. Because it's essential to get to college that you learn the ABCs. It's essential for us to live the victorious Christian life for us to understand, for us to know repentance, faith, baptisms. It's essential for us to know those things. And that's what he's saying here. These are the basics. These are the ABCs. In Rick Renner's book, he talked about a, a survey that was taken and the survey was taken of regular church attendees and they were asked what the word repentance meant to them. Here are three of the most popular answers that were given. To feel sorry about something one did or failed to do. 
to feel remorseful about some act and to ask for forgiveness for it. To walk forward in a church service to formally ask Jesus into your heart. Although all these answers are interesting, none of them are correct. Because as we looked earlier, repentance and repent means a decision to completely change the way one thinks, lives, and behaves. Whoa. But that's what repentance is. As a believer, we live a life of repentance. In other words, until we either die to be with Jesus or Jesus comes and receives us unto himself, we will continually be changing in our life because of the works of Jesus. Do you know, the word repent is, is one of the, the, the key words in the New Testament. You know, I, I used to tremble and hate it anytime anybody preached on repentance. So I didn't want to hear anything about repentance because to me it was kind of a ugly word because it always implied something must be wrong. Well, it does imply that there's something that needs to change. But when we begin to understand what repentance truly means, we begin to realize what a wonderful, what a beautiful word it really is because it's through the understanding of that word that we experience change in our life and, and the change that we experience in our life through Jesus Christ is always for the better. You know, when you've had the law hammered down your throat, all that you think about is what you have to give up. But what Jesus does for you is he reveals to you through his grace what's been made available to you. And through repentance, we receive it into our lives. It's, I don't know if you can tell this, but I think it's a wonderful word. Its meaning is wonderful. Its meaning brings hope where there's been no hope. But in Matthew 3, Matthew, the third chapter. In the second verse, we see that John the Baptist, his ministry began with repentance. Now, I understand, you know, the, the baptism of John was the baptism of repentance, which that baptism no longer applies to us today because <clears throat> the reason that it was was the baptism of repentance, was that when the Jews would come to, and they'd hear John preach, and they would, they would receive what he was teaching through baptism, they were saying, I'm repenting of what I've believed, and I now believe in the Messiah that John the Baptist is preaching of that is to come. And so I'm looking forward to the Messiah in a new way. I'm rejecting my own self-effort and I'm turning and trusting in this what John is preaching. And so anyway, in, in Matthew, the third chapter, the first verse, in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judah and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. And so his ministry began with the word repent, and it's the, it's the word for change. It's the word for turning. And so he said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus, in, in chapter four, he began his ministry in verse 17. And it says, from that time, 
Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So what was Jesus saying? He was saying, if you want to participate, if you want to be part of the kingdom of heaven, you must repent. Or in other words, you must turn from what you've been trusting in and put your confidence completely in me. The Jews were told you must stop trusting in your own ability to save yourself and you must put your trust, your confidence completely in me. In Acts, the second chapter, after Peter had preached his, his tremendous message and, and what happened after he had preached his message, the people said, but what do we do now? What, what do we do to be saved? I mean, it's one thing to hear the message. I grew up in church for 24 years of my life. I grew up in church. I mean, my mom played the organ. I had to be there every week. And because mom was playing the organ and the organ was in the front of the church, I spent my whole youth having to sit in the front row. And after we were married, I marry this woman that goes to church. And so we're, our, our entire marriage life, we've gone to church. But I went for 24 years of my life. I heard the preacher preach. I went through the liturgy, every Sunday. I went through confirmation. That would be coming up here right now real soon because we always had confirmation on Palm Sunday, wasn't it? It was either Palm or Sun Easter. It was the scariest time in my entire life because you were tested. You'd have to sit in front of the entire congregation up on the platform. We would sit on one, and it was for the service, and there were three of us. And so we'd have to sit there, and the preacher sat in a chair on the other side of the, the platform, and he questioned us. We had to answer the question. And I don't know for sure. I, I assumed that if I'd flunked, I couldn't have taken communion, because from then on, we got to take communion. So he we went through confirmation so he could take communion. I guess we couldn't remember what Jesus had done before that. But we had to go through all this, and so that, that, was my, that was my upbringing. But at the age of 24, in the basement of Vern Lewis's house, I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior because for the first time in my life, I had heard, repent. And guess what? My life didn't just all of a sudden change. Pastor Becky will attest to that. But I began a journey. And that journey began when I no longer trusted in being raised in the church, going through confirmation, receiving communion once a month. Because my parents had been, Christ, been in the church is because I had turned from trusting in my own ability and realized there was absolutely nothing that I could personally do to save myself. I had to put my trust, my confidence completely in Jesus. And my life has not been the same since because of Jesus in my life. And so here they are in Acts, the second chapter. They've heard Peter preach. In the end of it, they say, Peter, what should we do? And he has one word for them. Repent. Turn. Change. Put your trust completely in Jesus, in nobody else. As a believer, we live a life of repentance. A life of change. Dr. Cole, I said, change is not change. 
until you change. We need to say you've not experienced change until you've decided to change, until you turn from what you've been doing and start anew. I believe part of repentance is that when you get so sick and tired of being sick and tired that you change the direction that you're going. The epitome of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over and expecting a different outcome. We want a different outcome, we change. We begin to do things differently. Repentance is the starting place for the Christian life. It's where we begin. You know, one of the big debates is after you've been born again, do you have to confess your sin every time you sin? Well, I would have never been able to keep up with it. I don't believe that. I believe Jesus paid my price once for all. Now, if what you mean by confessing your sin is you're taking responsibility for your actions, then I'm in total agreement with it. But oftentimes it was just merely remorse. It was merely sorrow, and the sorrow was usually because we got caught. It's not repentance. I think what we need in the church is not more confession of sin. What we need in the church is more repentance. It needs, the, within the church, we need to turn from the direction that we've been going and go in a whole new direction. And we do it under the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit because he lives within us to empower us to change. Because let me tell you something, if I have to do it in my own ability, I will fail. But I don't have to do it in my own ability. I've got the power of the Holy Spirit residing on the inside of me to equip me, to empower me, to bring about the change that's needful. And you know what? When he forgives me, there's no remorse. There's no sorrow. There's no feeling that I've got to do something to pay the price. There's no sense that I need to go out and hang myself because the burden is so great. Jesus spoke to Judas. He gave him an opportunity. Friend, why have you come? I believe that at, at that point, Judas would have said, oh, not even if he could have said, couldn't have said it to Jesus because they were laying hands on him. But if Judas had fallen on his face and he had said, I've done a horrible thing. Lord, forgive me. And I'm going to turn my life. I'm going to serve you. I'm not going to serve man. I'm not going to serve man. I'm not going to serve money. I'm here to serve you. I believe we would spend eternity in heaven and he'd be able to tell us the story. But it wasn't repentance. It was remorse. It was sorrow. It was not turning back to Jesus. It was turning to his feelings and allowing his feelings to dominate and control and manipulate his life. 
and it took control of him. Listen, folks, it's time for us to take control. If remorse and, and uh, feelings of shame and failure are dominating your life, it's time for you to say it's enough. Jesus paid the price for me. Jesus died for me. Jesus made a way for me. And I choose Jesus' way today. I turn from the direction that I've been going and I go in a whole new direction. I'm following Jesus for he is the way, the truth, and the life. That's the Jesus that we serve. And so what grace makes available to us is everything that Jesus purchased for you and I on that cross. It belongs to us right now. Why is the word so important? The word reveals to us what Jesus has already done for us so that we can choose that path and not the path that we've been going down. Easter. Remember last week we talked about how we have memorials, we have days that are set aside as a reminder to us. Easter, as we look forward to it, is one of those days that remind us of the completed works of Jesus. That he has done it all. He has made a way where there was no way. It's through Jesus that we live and move and have our being because it's through him that we walk in the victory. The victory is yours. The victory is ours. The devil's a liar. The cannots are a bunch of lies from the enemy to keep you from achieving what Jesus has called you to do. Every one of us. He has a purpose for each and every one of us. And when we tap into him, to his spirit, to his word, we begin to walk that out. And the exciting thing about it is, is we only have to walk it out one step at a time. And what's even more exciting about it is, I don't have to walk your path. I simply have to walk my path. And the same thing is true for each and every one of us in this room. God has a way. He has a path. He has a purpose. Let's see that purpose fulfilled. Because it's in the fulfilling of that purpose that we have peace, that we have joy. We experience those things beyond what any human being can ever experience or explain. It's in Jesus. Not just simply the author He's the finisher of our faith. Father, we thank you for repentance. We thank you that we can turn in those areas where we've not put you first. And we feel bad about it. But Father, we're not stopping there. We're going to repent. We're going to turn. We're going to change where change needs to be, be done. But we're not doing it in our strength. We're doing it in your strength and the power of the Holy Spirit as we cooperate with you. Father, I thank you for these precious saints that are here before me this morning. And Father, I pray that by the power of your precious Holy Spirit, you would touch each heart, that you would lead us into a place where experientially, as a, as a body and as individuals, we've never been before. But it's because we've chosen you. Have your way. 
And Father, we pray it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So as you go, go in his peace and his strength and his love. Go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the magnificent name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Give somebody a hug. Let them know you love them.